Hey, hey, LinkedIn, Facebook. Hello, everyone. Welcome to LinkedIn Live and Facebook Live. My name is Fanny Dunnigan, and this is our live show every week where I talk to experts, content creators, and have them share their advice and um, various topics and expertise with you. And I am so excited to be here today with all of you. And uh, let me know where you are tuning in from. And as I say every week, feel free to network in the comments. Let me know where you're tuning in from. Meet each other in the comments. This is a community that I want to build and have you all meet each other and share your expertise and hopefully become connections as well outside of LinkedIn or Facebook. So welcome. Thank you for joining me this week. And I wanted to share some exciting things with you. First of all, I just want to give a cool shout out to the artist that did this cool piece of art for me recently, um, Ben Fluonko. He is on Instagram and uh, I couldn't be happier. So just wanted to give him a quick shout out. He painted that and uh, I, I had it done to, to match my decor. <laughs> so hope you enjoy that and big shout out to Ben. And uh, as I do every week, I wanted to share with you a content tip of the week. And this week, I want to talk all about learning from our mistakes. And as I started on my video journey and learning video on Facebook, video on LinkedIn, I made a bunch of mistakes. And I want you to know that it's totally okay. The important thing is to just get started and then learn from that. And we're all going to start nervous, we're all going to start uncertain, but you got to start anyways. And so I thought it would be fun to maybe <laughs> show you one of my videos from almost like, I think this is probably like the, the very early videos that I did. And this is when I was doing job fairs for our company. And this is one of the job fairs that we put together in Southlake. And uh, it was called the 114 Job Fair. And I want to show you this so that you can see that we all start somewhere. And I'm going to point out all the mistakes that I made there so that you can learn from it. And uh, let's go. <laughs> so this, I will play it for you. And then you can also, and I'm going to provide commentary so that you can see some of the things not to do when you're starting out. Hi, my name is Fanny Dunnigan, and I'm the co-founder of Pathlinks. We organize job fairs. <laughs> I have one minute to make an impression with you. So number one. At our job fairs. We engage employers and job seekers face to face. Mistake number one was I didn't have good audio. So whenever you're starting video, even if it's just a little microphone or a lapel mic, make sure you have good audio so that it's super clear and crisp for people. Okay. We live in a digital world, but we think nothing beats human interactions and people interacting face-to-face -face, like employers and job seekers. 
Another thing that I made a mistake on is not zooming in or having the face be clear. And I did this on my smartphone. So whenever you record on your smartphone, make sure you tap the face of the subject that you're recording so that it focuses on the face. And then that way the background can be a little blurry and the face can be clear. So that's learn from that. That was my mistake number two. We are having our job fair on Friday, February 9th, 2018 at the Mark in South Lake. <laughs> mistake number three was recording this outside. And as you can hear, I don't know if you heard it, but there's construction trucks <laughs> in the background beeping away as I'm trying to record. So my tip number three is, or mistake number three is don't record outside unless you have a really good mic um, because the external noises can be very distracting. It'll be the first annual event in this area and it will cater to professionals and degree holders. If you're a company that's hiring in that time frame, register with us at 114jobfair.com. <laughs> and one thing, like, I just feel so awkward watching myself back. But another thing is when you're outside, you also have the elements like wind. I remember it was very cold. It was in November. And so then your, your hair could be blowing all over the place. And I, in fact, I remember like being flustered because I know that my hair was all over the place. So again, try to find external conditions that are more calm if you are doing outside. And if you register before December 31st, we'll give you a $50 discount, early bird discount. And if you are a job seeker, we also have a lot of free services for you at the event. There will be a LinkedIn workshop by Terry, Terry Sullivan, the founder of BuzzPro. He has amazing LinkedIn tips. And there will also be HR professionals. That help. <laughs> and I think mistake number five, make sure you know how to pronounce your guests' names. <laughs> And, uh, and and practice that before you do your video. So I just thought this would be a super fun way to kind of highlight some of my mistakes when I first started so that you can learn from them. And uh, at the end of the day, though, just start. And it's okay if we make mistakes because that's when we learn the most and the best. So that's my content tip of the week. So without further ado, I want to welcome, and we have actually Bill Fly in the audience. Hey, Bill, good to see you. Yes, we do have to start somewhere. Thank you for tuning in. And uh, so yes, today's topic is all about the importance of accessibility. And I first heard this guest speak at TalentNet virtual conference. It's a recruiting conference for HR professionals and recruiters put on by Craig Fisher. And I was very blown away by her presentation. Uh, she highlighted a variety of things that I really had no idea around. And so I wanted to invite her on the show to bring more awareness to the importance of accessibility and what we can watch out for as we build career sites or build a variety of resources for people with disabilities. So 
it is with utmost pleasure that I introduce you to Miss Sarah McMullen, disability consultant at Getting Hired. Sarah, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. Oh, thank you. Thank you for your time. Uh, so for our audience, please share with them how you got into this, this field of studying accessibility and um, even recruitment and how you kind of marry those two sides together. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I know you and I were just talking uh, prior to this show and talking about how we got to where we are in our careers right now. I will say this was a, a fortunate space that I happened to stumble upon, that I happened to find myself in right now. So I originally graduated from Goucher College with a degree in biology. I thought I wanted to pursue something in science. Wasn't quite sure what that was. And so yeah. one thing led to another. I actually started my career in the staffing world at Aerotech, which is a sister company to getting hired. And then five years ago, transitioned over to our organization. I listened to somebody come speak to us internally and was really just blown away by the mission of our organization, which is to connect individuals with disabilities to hiring employers, really empowering those employers to do more than the bare minimum to really create cultures of inclusion, of belonging and equity for people with disabilities, which is often, to be honest, a lot of times, not a big focus group for organizations. And so for me personally, that mission really hit home because I have immediate family members with non-apparent disabilities. Uh, prior to working at Getting Hired, I will always call myself out and say, I was by no means an expert on disability. I didn't even necessarily know what to call some of my experiences that I've had with my family members because it was just the life that I had always known and always lived with them. I didn't know an accommodation was called an accommodation. Yeah. Uh, but now I had this actual business in this professional setting and role that I could bring my life experiences into and advocate for disability inclusion within organizations. I love how you kind of brought your your background to your current passions, as well as your connections to family and, and kind of brought it all together into this career of yours. Yeah, absolutely. Wow, so for those of you, look her up, Sarah McMullen on LinkedIn and connect with her. Um, but let's go back to the basics, right? Like, mm -hmm. what what is accessibility? How would you define that? Like, what what are your terms of definition for that? Yeah, so accessibility uh, is essentially designing products and services that at the end goal, ultimately the end result, means that it's going to be able to be accessed by people with disabilities mm. specifically. Um, a lot of times that can lead to what's then called being an inclusive product. Along the way, you're involving inclusive design, but involving uh, people with disabilities within that process to make sure that it is inclusive of people with disabilities. But at the end of the day, the end result is that you want it to be fully accessible. Um, you want people to be able to successfully access and utilize that product or that service. Yeah. And right now, you know, we we're, we were talking about it, right? We're in the midst of a pandemic. We've had a lot of job loss and we can't even have face-to-face -face interviews anymore or, you know, meeting people so much in, in 
in person. Uh, so a lot of stuff that we used to do, like networking at networking events or meeting new people like that to kind of help us with our job search, that's kind of difficult now. So what are some of the challenges that you've seen for job seekers, especially those with disabilities? Yeah, so for job seekers with disabilities in general, and I'll give you what I hear directly from job seekers with disabilities that we work with. Yeah. And then I'll also tell you uh, and summarize a bit of what we hear from the employer side, you know, what employers feel are the challenges as well, just in their interactions with job seekers and candidates. But for job seekers, there are a number of different, quote unquote, what I'll say are challenges or even employment barriers um, to getting hired and getting their foot in the door. It could be anything from an accessible website, an accessible mm -hmm. online application. So when I even say the word accessibility, I'll back up a step that it, it can mean a couple different things. There are a couple things that come to mind. Yeah. Typically, people think about physical accessibility, having wheelchair ramps, having, you know, the curb dip right. down on sidewalks, which I use as a mom for my stroller. So it's something yeah. that I benefit from as yeah. well. Yeah. Um, but that's what we think of a lot of times, the physical accessibility of our environment, of buildings, of workplaces, but mm -hmm. there's digital accessibility as well. So mobile applications, websites, online applications, are they compatible? Are they accessible by screen reader, um, by keyboard stroke versus mouse? There are a lot of different ways that you can define that and really test that. But wow. for job seekers with disabilities, it's can they successfully access every aspect of your career portal? of your online assessment as well. Maybe somebody didn't pass an online assessment, maybe they didn't complete it because they couldn't fully access that yeah. with some kind of assistive technology that they're using or something else that they need in order to um, complete that. Um, so that's one is the accessibility piece, not necessarily related to accessibility, but just in general for the disability space um, and for job seekers with disabilities. It's also, recognizing the fact that recruiters and hiring managers, yes, have biases. Um, there are stereotypes that exist. There are stigmas and assumptions about people with disabilities. And I am not by any means saying that recruiters and hiring managers are bad or wrong for having those. It's yeah. a human aspect of who we, we don't are. know what we don't know, I think, yes. sometimes. Yes. And we all have bias. Yeah. You know, we all have yeah. stereotypes. You know, as we've grown into who we are today, a lot of experiences that we've had through life create those. And that's why uh, we ultimately try to address that with all of our employer partners as well by providing trainings on recognizing biases that exist, um, recognizing where that can show up in the hiring process for job seekers and understanding that if a job seeker does disclose a disability to you, what should you say? How should you respond? What is appropriate? What are you legally allowed to say and not to say? Um, but a lot of times it's because of how disability has been portrayed in media, in movies, in advertisements, somebody in a wheelchair, someone who has deafness or blindness or is an amputee, something apparent where they need constant assistance from either family member or friend that you say, somebody says to you, we're going to hire people with disabilities. That's the first thing that comes to mind. And you think yeah. they're going to need accommodations. How will they be qualified for the position? Um, and that's just because of how disability so much of the time has been portrayed in 
society. It's almost like we natural we immediately think of the problems instead of the opportunities yes. that's presented. Mm-hmm. Yes, and so you know, very real. There are so many reasons uh, why people in general aren't hired for bias reasons for. Yeah stereotyping for assumptions that human error that human part of us that's making the decision that isn't just solely based on qualifications Um, so that's another big challenge for job seekers and then another that i'll say is the pressure and the decision of when to self-identify or self-disclose as having a disability there are employers that yes 100 percent want to actively consciously hire people with disabilities, trying to create a more diverse and inclusive workplace. And they're asking job seekers to identify, but this is a very personal part of you, like Mm -hmm. anything else. You know, for me, just using myself as an example, anyone could probably look at me and think, she's Asian, she's a woman. I really can't hide either of those two things. Um, But I still would like the opportunity to identify with that publicly and tell you that I actually do identify with one of those two things. Um, Same thing for people with apparent disabilities. Let's say somebody's using a wheelchair. Just because you can see it, it doesn't mean that they've disclosed that to you. It's just something apparent. But Mm -hmm. over 70% of disabilities are non-apparent. ADHD, dyslexia, different mental health issues. 70%, wow, it's such a high number, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So again, going back to how we typically see disability portrayed in society, in media, uh, that's not your, what I'll call, quote unquote, stereotypical example, the true representation necessarily for a lot of disabilities that exist out there. Um, So it's, again, I don't want to be viewed differently. I don't want to be viewed as my disability. I don't want all of a sudden the conversation to change and for you not to treat me like a person first. So there's, there is a lot of pressure um, that we hear directly from job seekers as well of when do I share this information? How do I share it? Do I risk potentially not receiving the position in case somebody views me uh, with some kind of stigma around disability instead of as a, a candidate and a qualified candidate? So is there like a, a standard or a best practice around when or how to disclose or like what what's your yeah. advice around that actually yeah so what we tell job seekers um, and what we also tell employers to remember as well is that this is again a personal choice mm. this is something personal about yourself mm. it is up to that individual to determine when they feel comfortable so employers should not think or feel hey this is the right time for you to tell me because ultimately any time is the right time for that individual and when they feel comfortable there might be a preferred time because employers want to know that information Um, um, and we they do want to hire diverse candidates we they do want those diverse perspectives uh, backgrounds and ways of thinking Um, but again it's ultimately up to the individual some go right into the interview and I've had a job seeker say to me before, I really don't care what you think of me. I'm going to tell you from the start that I have a disability. Oh, transparency. (laughs) I'm going to flag it in my application however I can. And others will say, I don't even care if I receive the job offer. It's going to take me at least a couple months after that because again, as a new employee, I don't want to be viewed as the new employee with a disability, especially if I'm one of the only ones who has self-identified right. um, and for everybody to kind of view me as that token person. Yeah. So it's up to the person, like anything else with sexual orientation, potentially right. even your veteran status. Um, it's truly up to that individual. 
That's good to know. And like across the board, why would you say accessibility is so important, right? Yeah. Like why, why put in these measures? Why take the extra time to, to be aware of all these different barriers that, you know, that we don't even know about? What yeah. were the benefits out of it? Why is, why is it so important? Yeah, for one, um, I will honestly say it is the right thing to do. And some people might say, oh, that's not really a reason. It really is. And I say that because so many times you see other organizations, you see organizations out there, employers give messages of we are inclusive of people with disabilities. We want to hire people with disabilities. We're inclusive of all people. Uh, Maybe they just leave it as a general statement like that. If you don't have an accessible website, if you don't have accessible documents, yeah. it's not supporting those messages of inclusion. If you are giving messages around, we believe in diversity and inclusion, belonging, equality and equity. Equity means equal access to those equal opportunities that you're providing. So maybe equality is demonstrated through the fact that you have all of your positions available, available publicly um, to everybody. Everybody can access them. Um, so long as you have a, a computer or some way to access the internet. Mm-hmm. But if you can't successfully access those because your website is not accessible, um, you can't successfully read the job description, apply, finish the application, submit that, take the online assessment, um, then you're not providing equity. Yeah. Um, th- those opportunities are not, in fact, available to you. So that's where I say it is the right thing to do. Um, If you want to be inclusive of everybody, it is absolutely something that you should invest the time in. I will also say that a lot of times, accommodations that are made proactively for people with disabilities, um, accessible, inclusive design that's implemented for people with disabilities, it ends up benefiting everybody, disability or not. And just one very quick example. So for me, I uh, I have a one-year-old um, and she is, of course, the light of my life. But especially when the pandemic hit, it was extremely difficult to balance working and watching her, trying to be a mom, trying yeah. to fill the role that I have professionally. <laughs> oh my gosh, yes. Uh, you know, she all attention is on her, which yeah. I love, but yeah. it's hard to do that and to balance the time. And so even for me, uh, uh, just a quick example of there were times that I would have to watch a training video, a webinar, um, and either she is so loud and just screaming for joy with whatever she's doing or something else is happening, you know, the dogs are playing in the background that I can't hear what I'm trying to watch. So even having captions on that video is something that I benefit from. I don't need captions because of a disability, but how many times yes. do you use captions oh when my you're gosh. watching something? Yes. yes. Even for me, like we have Friday night or Saturday night movie night at home now, right? Because we can't go to the movie theater. And and I'll purposely turn on the captions because there's dialogue a lot of times that I can't catch the word or catch the phrase or they say it too fast. And, and I have the captions on. And and especially like spy movies, we love. We watched Mission Impossible the other day. Oh my gosh! Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, yo, that's what they said, and it, it's because of the captions. So it benefited me for sure, um, just as a viewer. Um, but yeah, 
Sarah, we have this question from Mike. Um, Mike, thank you for tuning in, Mike Rochelle. Uh, Sarah, shouldn't the current environment be an advantage to those with disabilities, especially if they are skill-based merited to work from home? So Mike, I assume you mean, you know, for those that have like a physical disability, there might be more remote jobs now. Um, but what would your response be for that, Sarah? Yeah, absolutely. So we have a lot of job seekers even prior to the pandemic. I'll say it's, I think the country, a lot of job seekers in our country wanted remote work positions anyways. It's always, it's been a conversation of work-life balance and having the opportunity to work remotely and still perform whatever job it is maybe that you typically have an employee sit on site for. Um, so yes, absolutely. It has been beneficial in that there are more remote work opportunities being offered. Um, the unemployment rate currently is still twice that for people with disabilities mm -hmm. compared to non-disabled people. Um, so there absolutely is still work to be done, but in terms of having more remote opportunities, yes, um, that definitely is beneficial in, in having that as an option. Um, but that's my answer to that. And before we move on, I just the only other thing that I wanted to add to why accessibility is important and just disability inclusion in general, too, is that there are laws and regulations that require this to happen. Yeah. So I definitely did I, not I, want I to saw, leave that out. I saw a comment in the, the comments. Yes, Bill Fly was saying it's the law. Yes. The ADA and EOE. I, yes, yeah. exactly. So there you go, Bill. Thank you for, uh, for <laughs> shouting that out for me. I wasn't watching Wait, the comments. Explain for us what those are, just briefly, because I, yeah. I, I'd like to know more. Mm. Yep, yep. So the ADAC Americans with Disabilities Act. Mm. And so that is essentially one thing that you can look up. I mean, there are um, laws and regulations like this. And it was just the ADA 30 that was celebrated. So 30th year since the signing of the Americans wow. with the Disabilities Act, which is really one of the first laws put into place that provided um, equality and equal protection and equal opportunities for people with disabilities, at least that was the intention uh, yeah. behind it. And so one of the main laws that's in place that absolutely can be referenced that is there for uh, enforcing equality for people with disabilities as well. So that's that. And then EOE uh, is essentially equal opportunity. So the EEOC, if you're familiar with that as well. Uh, so the Equal Opportunity um, Commission, there's also OFCCP as well. Uh, for federal compliance, yeah. but those are some of the laws and regulations in place. There's also Section 508 as well, and so you might, somebody may have heard of Section 508 compliance. So that does require uh, government projects, uh, federal contractors to make sure their technology has met a certain set of criteria that Section 508 has deemed as necessary to be, to consider yourself compliant. Uh, and there's also the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines or WCAG, W-C-A-G, um, not, not a law, uh, but just a different set of accessibility guidelines that anybody can look up in order to make sure that their website is fully accessible as well. Wow. And, and it, it really is, I, I tell you, Sarah, it, if it weren't for your presentation, I, I think I, for me, it's really just opened up a, a world of all these other things that I can be more aware of. And I still remember, and I, I want to share with the audience here, like some of those, 
those pictures that you had actually, because that kind of opened up my mind as well and created awareness for me of these like various examples that we have of accessibility barriers, right? Yeah. That I, I don't even think about, but as you were talking during your presentation, I was like, oh, like I, it finally click. Um, so I wanna share this with people as well and uh, have you talk to people through yeah. these examples. Yeah. So tell us about this. This is yeah. the, this is someone with no disability, right? Yes, absolutely. So this is an online simulation as well. This is not something that I created, so I have to give credit there. Um, but essentially what we're going to walk through are some examples of what it looks like to potentially have different types of disabilities related to your vision. Um, I, I want to absolutely give the, the disclaimer that these are just meant to be an example and give quick perspective. This by no means is an accurate portrayal of a day in the life of somebody with macular degeneration or colorblindness. It is so much more than this. This is just one brief example. Um, but these are just two examples that are out there kind of as quote unquote simulations. And I do have family members with both colorblindness and macular degeneration, which is why I wanted to provide these. So what you see in front of you is just an image from this online simulator. If you just Google macular degeneration simulator, um, you'll find it there. But this is what potentially someone's environment would look like without macular degeneration. Right. So this next slide, this next image in front of you shows uh, essentially a clouded blacked out center portion of majority of the picture. And this is what it looks like for somebody with macular degeneration. Of course, there's varying degrees of every type of vision loss. Um, and so for my family member who has macular degeneration, this is how they describe it and exactly how it looks for them. It is ultimately clouded out parts of their vision of what they see on a day-to-day -day basis. And so- That's not classified as blindness, right? It's just like a, a, a separate category or, or a subset or- You can reach the point of blindness, yes. Um, you can reach the point of legal um, blindness as well or being legally blind. Um, but it is something, again, just knowing that it's, it's a spectrum for every disability. This is just what macular degeneration I know looks like for my family member and for some out there. It can look a little bit different for everybody else. But just imagine again, somebody who has this right. is using your website. website. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Using your mobile app. Um, you know, again, I know my family members are all avid uh, phone, iPhone users, I guess this is not meant to be an Apple product, shout out, but they yeah. use their iPads and their tablets, uh, yeah. their laptops, everything. They're just as connected digitally as I am. Mm -hmm. um, but it's making sure that they can zoom in, that they can access things the way that they need to change how their screen looks to fit within what they can see in their vision field. Mm -hmm. And then you had a slide here on colorblindness, right? Yeah, yeah, so bringing this kind of to current events, this is an example of, and I know this was probably a, a couple weeks ago, so the colors may have changed a little bit, but yeah. at the time, this is an example of a live just COVID tracking map that's out there and it's color coordinating green, yellow, green, uh, green, yellow, orange, and red, excuse me, uh, to signify the level of 
COVID uh, and cases yeah. that exist within each state. So supposed to be quick recognition. A lot of people know that green is safe and red is just stay out of that area. Right. Orange and yellow are uh, maybe let's see exactly what it looks like. Right. Um, but for somebody with color blindness, if you move to the next image, this is potentially what it looks like for somebody who is green blind. So again, I have family members who have so this green blind color. means you only see green. Yeah, so this is um, essentially what you see in front of you, just to give a, a quick audio description as well. You're pretty much seeing yellows and greens in front of you on this map as well. Um, so ultimately, this is part of what their world looks like and and how they can see that same thing, a COVID map. It's not a quick Right. easy read for them to say okay which states are green which states are red sure you have a key on the right hand side but the colors are a lot more similar to yeah. one another they're just various shades of yellow and green versus being totally opposite with red and green um so okay. so yeah so all the all the dark green so it's just some shades of green so then it's it's a harder to interpret immediately isn't it it is it is and so um it, again, it's just incorporating and including people with disabilities in all of your processes from the start, in all of your communication, in your design, you know, accounting for the fact that there might be people with colorblindness. Is there another way that you can effectively give this information without it relying on color? Yeah. Uh, so this was just, again, another example that I wanted to bring up because it's just relevant. I feel like all of us yeah. can relate in uh, so, trying to- so true, yeah. Like yeah. even maps and um, statistics, right? Like if we're reading a newspaper and if a graph is various colors and there's no texture, then we can't see the difference, right? Yeah, yep. exactly, exactly. That makes me think then also like, if you're colorblind, what happens when you see traffic lights? Yeah, so again, it's it's different for every person depending on what type of colorblindness you have. I know some of my family members mm -hmm. have told me that it depends on the lighting. It depends on what else is around them. I know mm -hmm. even for them, you know, if I held up something white, but uh, some depending on the color that's next to it, it will change that color, it might look a little pink to them. It might look like something else. It just depends on the background right. as well. Uh, but for a traffic light, it's also knowing the order of the colors. So yeah. you know oh. what to do when, you know, if the if the traffic light hopefully is in the typical order that you see of green, yeah. yellow, red, you right. know what to do when the top light is on. You know what to do when the bottom light is on. Potentially you can still see a shade of that, mm. uh, but it's not quite as in your face, depending again on what's around you, how much glare there is. Um, so it's just knowing um, yeah. that's your way of accommodating. And, and just being aware, like I, again, like you, and one of the things that I really wanted to bring you on the show is just the fact that you have, like, you're just bringing awareness to these things. Yeah. And now that we're aware, then we can do things about it, right? Mm -hmm. um, and you showed me a variety of accessibility innovations, right? Which I'm so 
I'm very excited to like, as an engineer and like geek, I was excited about the innovations that were happening. And then also from this perspective of being more inclusive and, um, and promoting equality. Uh, so I wanna share this with everyone. And if you can walk us through some of these innovations that are, that are happening. Yeah, absolutely. So um, kind of trying to go in order here. So Procter & Gamble, P&G, they, own a lot of different brands, everyday brands that you're used to. One is Herbal Essence, yeah. uh, which I feel like I've used since the time that I was I grew a up seeing commercials. Yes, they always yes, smell so good. <laughs> the Herbal Essence commercials. Yes, absolutely. Right? So yeah. a well-recognized brand used by so many people. And so what happened is they had Sam Latif, who's now PNG's accessibility leader and has vision loss, self-identifies as having vision loss, um, pulled her in for product design as well and to uh, give her perspective on what she could successfully access and tell you, yes, I know that when I'm holding this product, this is what this is. Because typically you have to read the labels to yeah. know what you are getting. Shampoo um, or conditioner. Yeah. Yes, so right? something yeah. as simple as shampoo bottles for herbal essence, now on the back of the bottle towards the bottom, um, there are raised bars or stripes. Uh, so if you feel those stripes, you know that it's shampoo. If you feel circles, you know that it's conditioner. Mm. Um, and it's just something so simple, yeah. but so, effective in that it is opening this up to more people who yes have vision loss or have blindness and honestly just want to know if they grabbed a shampoo bottle or a conditioner bottle or maybe even you already have the product in your shower and instead of trying to read the label every time because the bottles look very similar to one another yeah. I read the bottle of my shampoo and conditioner every time I use it to make sure yeah. I have the right one you can just feel it. Yeah. You can feel that the stripes are for shampoo and the circles are for wow. conditioner. Oh, so, brilliant. Yeah. So smart. So that's one. And then Target, uh, as well as a number of other stores uh, and other various uh, clothing lines as well, even shoe lines, um, they have created sensory-friendly clothing, adaptive shoes, things like that. Uh, what that means is you have tagless clothing. You have clothing yeah. with flat seams, one-dimensional graphic tees. And this was created by now Target designer um, Stacy Monson, who has a seven-year-old daughter with autism. Mm -hmm. And so it's, again, sensory-friendly in that even for me, you know, I don't identify as having autism. Thinking about how many times a tag will bother me, distract me throughout the day. Thinking about I've how cut many tags times because they bother me. Yes, yes, yes. Thinking about how many times potentially a seam, a raised seam, even in your sock. Do you ever feel that seam get stuck there? Yeah. Um, get stuck in your clothing, and that's all that you can feel sometimes, and it's just distracting. Yeah. Um, so that's some of the sensory-friendly clothing that Target has created. It benefits and, all in a way, yes, right? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And that's one of the themes of what we're sharing here. Mm -hmm. uh, another is the Xbox adaptive controller. That's the picture in the bottom right-hand corner. You may have seen this commercial uh, for the most recent Super Bowl. There were some Super Bowl commercials by Microsoft, one of which was using a, a number of individuals using this adaptive controller. And yeah. it was 
created by Microsoft with the Able Gamers Foundation, Cerebral Palsy Foundation, Special Effect, and I believe uh, Warrior Fighter engaged as well as another organization and utilized many people with disabilities as well for their feedback, for their input, and how can they successfully use this as they were creating the product as well. So instead of like gripping something, they're, they're touching something? Yeah, so if you think about a typical gaming controller, there are buttons and you have to be able to extend your fingers uh, it, to uh, a certain degree, right. to a certain length, and that's just the standard. Well, what if you don't have that type of range of motion? Yeah. What if you don't have all five of your fingers? You know, what can you do? And so that's where this adaptive controller was mm. created for people who might have either one of those things and they don't have to use just your standard controller that requires you to push all of the different buttons that requires you to be able to simultaneously reach out and uh use the the various widgets as well um and this is just something totally different actually i that reminds me like we have nintendo switch and yeah. so our family would be playing like super mario brothers and I swear I get so like tense that like I grip the controls so much yes. <laughs> that after playing for like 10, 15 minutes, my hands ache from gripping it. Yes. <laughs> like even just from like a comfort standpoint, yes. that would be a, a cool thing to have. Yes, absolutely. And I, you know, I highly recommend everybody re do the research to find out more yeah. about these products because they're amazing. There's so much great work being done right now to create more inclusive products, more accessible yeah. products. And I know what we have in the top middle screen as well as Microsoft Soundscape. So Microsoft in general, I'm just going to say it. If you don't know, they're doing fantastic work. They're doing a lot of great work. A lot of organizations are. I just specifically call them out because I have two products of theirs on this slide yeah. in front of you. But it's essentially a 3D audio technology. It's a 3D audio map. So for people with oh. low vision or vision loss, it provides a description of your surroundings and your landmark. Um, probably most effective if you look up the video, uh, especially if you're a visual learner, yeah. uh, just to find out more about what that looks like. But it's pretty amazing. Um, so it's, it's pretty called cool. Microsoft Soundscape. Yep. So you just hold it around your environment and it'll yeah, describe so it's an it for you? It's an app. So even think about if you've ever used, I'll say like Google Earth um, or yeah. some kind of 3D map and you can see on the map that there's a park nearby, that there's potentially even a bus stop nearby. This app essentially is reading out those landmarks to you. So you know X number, oh. let's say 300 feet away from you is a park or X number of hundred of feet feet away from you is this building. So you have an idea of your surroundings. It's not just saying, go straight, turn left, turn right. right you right. know a little bit more about what your environment looks like, especially if wow. that's not easy for you to see long distances, yeah. um, especially if you do have some kind of vision loss, um, that's a little bit harder for you to see landmarks like that. Wow. I'm gonna have to check it out just from a curiosity standpoint too. <laughs> walk around, have it describe it to me. <laughs> Yes, yes, absolutely. What is, what is this Rice Krispie treat? Oh my gosh, so this is one of my favorite ones. So Kellogg's created Braille stickers for their Rice Krispie treats. And again, oh. thinking about how often oh. their consumers utilize 
potentially the, the open space on a Rice Krispie Treat. How many people, Kellogg product consumers, purchase Rice Krispie Treats? I know I do. I yeah. know, you know yeah. my daughter likes them. Rice Krispies. <laughs> yes, exactly. So yeah. how many times you see all the commercials, people take out a Sharpie and you know the parent will write a note for their child or words of encouragement. Well, what if your child, what if that person you're writing the note for, again, mm -hmm. has some kind of vision loss or blindness and they typically do read Braille? What do you do? And so, again, there's a great video out there. This was inspired by an 11 year old um, who's blind. And so her mom, as well as talking about the experience of finding out that there are Braille notes that she can put on the Rice Krispie treat mm -hmm. instead of having to write something out and knowing potentially that this is not fully accessible for people. You know, not everybody can participate in something so simple and so great as this. Uh, so that was something that Kellogg's had done. I love that. And I bet that also kind of opens up dialogue, right, with our children as well. Yeah. I think so long, you know, decades ago, we, we disabilities were things to be um, like swept under the carpet, right, and not discussed. And I think to have this be amongst our children, be amongst our product that our children uses, it's a great way for dialogue to to start with parents and kids. Like I think yeah. if I saw that and I can, it's like an opening for me to talk about that with my kids and to bring awareness to to that, to braille and to blindness. It's a great point that you're making because how many, I, you know, again, I'm only a year into being a parent, but you know, my husband and I, we already talked yeah. about, how are we going to start some of these conversations? And some of them, we just think we're just going to dive right in. We're just going to tell her, we're going to expose her to things. You know, we have, again, a lot of diversity within our immediate family members and friend circles as well. Um, but how do you intentionally talk about something and educate yeah. as well? And sometimes it is, hey, you know, maybe she'll see yeah. one of the braille stickers. Maybe she'll see yeah. the adaptive controller. Maybe it's on something they love, right? Yes, exactly, yeah. mm -hmm. exactly. And it's that's opening up the conversation as well and starting that dialogue. So exactly to your point, it's it. just normalizing what yeah. I think so much of the time until this point, it, not to say that it's by any means corrected, um, yeah. has always been separate group disabilities, the stigmas on disabilities, viewing people with disabilities as not being able to do things as being this almost separate group in society that has a totally different way of life. And now they have more of the same access to the, to the same everyday products um, that somebody without a disability would have. Same thing with those, is that Lego Braille bricks? Yes, yes. So there are oh, cool. the Lego Braille bricks. So Lego, I love this Lego was, even as an adult. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Me too. I was obsessed with Lego. I absolutely loved Lego. I had an uncle that worked uh, at a Lego factory. So oh, that was just, cool. I remember, very nostalgic for me, always receiving a gift um, around the holidays that was some kind of Lego kit. And I would just build it as fast as possible. Um, but this was. Who else loves Lego in the audience? Give me a <laughs> like. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, right? Say yes in the comments. Yes. Exactly. Um, but I believe this was just trying to do a bit of my research and, and giving credit here. I believe that this was first proposed by the Danish Association of the Blind, and then other organizations related to blindness were looped in as well. But ultimately, 
Lego Braille bricks were created. This is something that was recently done as well, but a fun way for children to learn Braille. Um, again, another way to educate, just to bring this into normal part of the conversation. Right. Um, so really excited about that one. Yeah. And then, and then it's associated with something that brings joy. Yes. It's not, yes. again, we're not sweeping it under the carpet. It's, it's associated with a toy, right? Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And they can play with Legos the same way that anybody else would. Um, and maybe even it's a little bit more subtle. Maybe mm -hmm. as a child, you don't want it to be apparent or obvious as well that that's why you're playing with the Legos is to learn Braille. Now you're just playing with Legos. Yeah. Um, so yeah. it's it's just, it's pretty amazing seeing things like this that are being created. And then I know the last thing that we have on here. So mm -hmm. CVS Health, they're doing some amazing work in the space as well for people with disabilities. And one thing that was recently created in their partnership with American Council for the Blind or of the Blind is that they have created accessible prescription labels. Um, so having Braille labels, having an app that it that can read the label to mm. you as well. How many people, how many Americans yeah. receive prescriptions of some kind? Yeah. And how many people potentially also could have vision loss or some kind of blindness? Um, and now making sure that it's accessible, it is easier yeah. for them to know and confirm that, yes, uh, here are the directions for me to take the medication that I know I read on a label because I forget. Um, so just reminding myself yeah. what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. But because that's, think, you know, health. <laughs> I yeah. could take the wrong dose and that could be harmful to us. Exactly. And I think, you know, one of the big takeaway messages from this and part of the reason why I wanted to call out where did these ideas come from? Who was involved in creating each of these products? One, of course, to give credit to those individuals or to those groups, but two, there's a theme here. People with disabilities were included from the start. Uh, and that's definitely a message that I will echo as much as I possibly can, is including people with diverse backgrounds, diversity of thought, diverse experiences, not just people with disabilities, um, but yes, especially people with disabilities in all of your processes, in your product designs as well. There's a difference between including them from the start and then having people with disabilities in mind and creating accessible products, but not including them. And then at the end, mm. providing that to somebody with a yeah. disability and saying, let me know what you think. Yeah. Well, they might have a lot of feedback um, as to some changes they would recommend. And now how likely is it that you're going to go back to the drawing board and redo this entire process or remake this product that's right. technically at a finishing stage? Yeah. Um, so include people with disabilities in your conversations, in your processes from the start. So it's definitely something I recommend. And in a way, it I mean, again, like diversity benefits all. Right? Yeah, like even just the your point about the the prescription bottles, right? It, yeah, a Bill Fly in the comments was saying accessibility caps for arthritic people, right? Yeah, even even for me, yeah. <laughs> I stare at uh, my 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 iPhone so much that I now need like reading glasses yeah. <laughs> and like bigger font things. Yeah, yeah, to fit me, right? Yeah. Um, and so it it. it Diversity and all this inclusion really benefits all of us. 
It does. It 100% does. And it's, it's so important for us to, to keep that in mind. Again, as we're designing products, as we're creating processes, um, what a lot of people in the disability space will say is, if we are all so fortunate to live long enough, then we will all have a disability at some point in our lives. Yes. Um, you know, it doesn't matter again, what your, my old age. <laughs> yes, what your For race, sure. what your ethnicity is, what your sexual orientation yeah. is. Anybody can have a disability. We all will have a disability at some point in our lives. Yeah. Um, so it's essentially creating an environment, culture, products yeah. um, for longevity that everybody can use, that everybody can continue to use, maybe that they're using now and that they can use 30, 40, 50 years from now as well. Absolutely. So there was one thing I really wanted to get to as well is yeah. you have your website getting mm -hmm. hired um, I want to share with people that website because yeah. there were some really great website accessibility best practices. Yeah. And um, so let's go there and let me bring that up for our viewers here. So this is the getting hired website, right? Yes. And yes. that's, that's where you work and, but you've built it to be very inclusive. Right. Yep. Um, so walk yep. us through some of the, the design features and, and best practices that you guys have done. Yeah. So accessibility is extremely important, as you've heard me say, and yeah. absolutely practice what you preach. That was 100 percent a big focus for us as we designed our website as well. Um, what I think you have highlighted as well are some color contrast options at the top. Mm -hmm. So you can change the color contrast with a couple buttons. Um, and just to make that easily accessible, again, if you need a, a different background, if it's easier for you to have the black background and the white text, you Is can black and white for those with uh, color blindness. Is that the goal? Um, it doesn't even necessarily have to be color blindness. Mm. It can be somebody who has low vision or blindness of some kind, or I'll just say low vision uh, of any kind to where just yeah. contrast helps. Uh -huh. Just, I know for me on my email, I have the dark mode and yeah. it's just because it's easier on my eyes. It's not the white reflecting like back glare, right? yeah. all day. Yes. And it's just something that's easier on my eyes. Um, so some people might prefer that. You can change the font size as well. Um, I know if you use keyboard strokes and you try to tab through, it should 100% uh, go in a, a consecutive order. So almost like you read a book from left to right. Oh, yeah. I'm tapping through. Yes. Yep. Doing that. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. Ah. And then even something um, potentially small, but again, trying to be as inclusive as possible. We did use Arial font as well. So mm -hmm. there are uh, some recommendations that Arial font is more accessible, is more inclusive. Oh. Um, by no means, if you're not using Arial font, you're, you're not in the wrong. Uh, right. It was just right. something that I know we have received as feedback in the past from some job seekers. Yeah. Uh, that That is a font that's a little bit easier to read, uh, that it makes a clearer distinction between letters um, instead of uh, having them kind of all bubbled uh, right. the way that a, a letter is written. There's a, just a clear distinction between potentially a C and an O or an M and an N yeah. or a D and an E. Um, yeah, so those are some examples there. Wow. And even just, yeah, just even that, 
really helps to just have that bigger font size as well. And a lot of times we're looking at things on our mobile too, right? So it's even smaller. So to have a bigger font option is certainly beneficial. Yeah. And, you know, one thing that I will call out too is I highly recommend, you know, if you have no idea how accessible your website is, if it's something that you're curious about, start the conversation. You do not have to be an expert to ask about it. You can simply ask potentially your IT department, even your manager, anybody just to start the conversation internally and find out maybe somebody else who you're asking has no idea. And so now maybe two of you are curious. Um, Look up and Google search the WCAG guidelines, the WCAG um, guidelines and the most recent criteria as well for the recent version that's out there. WCAG, Um, is it WCAG.org or something? Um, I'm not sure of the exact website, if it's a .org or .com, um, I should know that, but I know if you just search WCAG, yeah, yeah, that will 100% pop up, Mm. but you can educate yourself. There is a lot of information when it comes to the guidelines and the criteria. So you are not, nobody's expected to be a total expert on it. It's just, again, for your knowledge, it will talk about additional items like alt text on images, pop-ups and animations, timeout restrictions, descriptive links. Is it mobile friendly? Um, So just again, for anybody- have asked those questions and have us think, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. So just again, good for you to know. Good for you to educate yourself about and just start that conversation. So uh, is there like any tips that you have that if we do like an accessibility audit of our website, what what are some things that we we can look for? Yeah, absolutely. So I 100% recommend taking yourself through your website, Mm. certain things like, you know, do you feel like there's good color contrast? Do you any videos that are on your website? Are there captions? on that video. Mm-hmm. Even if if you're a little if you're familiar with HTML, you can look at the source of, of all the coding of your website. You can see if there's alt text for all of your images um, and, and check that out. So you can see if any pages time out on you, if you can tab through your website instead of using your mouse. But if you truly want what I'll say or, or what you said, quote unquote, an audit, more of a thorough check to yeah. see if it is hitting a lot of the WCAG or WCAG criteria or Section 508 criteria, I highly recommend looking at a third party. Um, Level Access, I know, is one of them. 100% use a third party that is specialized Mm. in checking websites for accessibility. Um, There are a lot of different organizations out there. Again, if you just perform a quick internet search, uh, that will pop up and you can ask, you know, how much is that for us to do this? What does this process look like? You know, how can you help us? I love this. I mean, even just just these simple things of you mentioning color contrast, captions, alt text for images, tab through, just even just basic things that we can start fixing and improving yeah. now. And that, that's going to be homework for me. I'm going to go back to my own company website and path links yeah. and see, see what I can do. Um, yeah, I, I take it for granted. And yeah. I'm the first to admit. And um, But it, it does make, think, make sense and it does benefit. Yeah. Awesome. And then as far as you know, you like getting hired is obviously a job board as well, right? And you you work with a lot of job seekers as well as employers. 
I'd love to hear any advice you have mm. um, for job seekers with disabilities. Are there certain um, sites? Obviously, gettinghired.com is very accessible to them. Um, but any other tips you have for job seekers with disabilities and during their search? Yeah. And, you know, this is not even necessarily related to accessibility, but mm. what I would always recommend is advocate for yourself. I know sometimes easier said than done, yeah. but advocate for yourself. Even if you are searching for a job and you're talking to a recruiter, to a hiring manager, sometimes people don't feel comfortable asking what they don't know. They don't know how to ask. They don't know what to do. If you need an accommodation, take that as an opportunity to educate that person in case they don't know, in case they aren't familiar with accommodations, let them know, I do need to request an accommodation for the next mm -hmm. step. You know, who do I reach out to? Here's what I need. Um, right. Help to guide them through the process mm -hmm. because in all honesty, they may not know. Just no. because it's an employer doesn't mean that they are the expert. We are all just people and we are all learning as yeah. much as possible. Absolutely. And if you don't have that life experience yourself or personally, then it might not be something that you've ever thought of or ever encountered. No. no. So I definitely say advocate for yourself, educate others, educate yourself as well on your legal rights, what employers are legally allowed to ask you and not to ask you during an interview around your disability. Um, look up that information on the Americans with Disabilities Act or ADA website. And there are even, going back to accommodations, there are great resources like Job Accommodation Network or JAN. If you go to the website, they are a free resource. They provide accommodation suggestions by disability, by function in the workplace as well. And they're a great, great resource. Wow, awesome. And then on the other side for employers, what are some of your advice uh, or tips so that employers can be more accessible? Yeah, I would say, again, going back to start the conversation, mm. find out um, this is this is not something that should just be left in the hands of your technology department. You should know as well. You should feel comfortable and confident in the experience, that candidate experience, the red carpet experience that all employers want to provide. Yeah. Find out for yourself how accessible your website is how accessible the application process is, anything that's digital, even challenge back, you know, a lot of times websites will have downloadable PDFs or infographics or something else about the organization. Are all of those documents accessible? And I know at least for Microsoft products, if you're using Word, if you're using PowerPoint, um, even if you are using a PDF or converting to a PDF, there are free accessibility checkers. If you just go to the file tab or if you go to save your document, a lot of people don't notice it because you're not necessarily oh. looking for it, but there's an accessibility checker that will yeah. help to check the reading order, if you're missing alt text, again, it's not necessarily the end all be all. That's not the 100% right. guarantee, but Start. it's yeah. very helpful. Very, very helpful. Oh my gosh. Sarah, thank you. Like you, you provided so many great things for us to be aware of and to even just small tangible things that we can start doing. And, and I really appreciate that. And I know across our audience, we've been, uh, Bill Fly was saying accessibility is really about inclusiveness. Absolutely. Yes. 
Um, yeah, there, Bill <laughs> mentioned that accessibility checkers, just like you were yeah. saying. Bill, you're so knowledgeable about this. That's I was awesome. gonna say, Bill and I are best friends and we don't even know. Right, that. yeah. Shout out to Bill. He's one of our board members on the Association of Business Technology Professionals. Amazing. And also uh, teaches at uh, Bill, oh my gosh, one of the community colleges. Remind me, Bill, please. <laughs> Uh, so he's also a professor as well. And uh, Mike was just talking about, yes, go Xbox for sure. Um, and then we actually just a quick shout out to the Association of Business Technology Professionals. We have a group that's also for job seekers. And so Mike was just giving a shout out to Chuck um, Business Technology Networking Group. Absolutely. So yes, thank you, Sarah. Thank you so much for, for everything that you've kind of taught us. And for those of you in the audience, definitely connect with Sarah. Um, is LinkedIn the best place to find you or yep. what, what's the best place to find you? Yeah, please feel free to reach out on LinkedIn, yes. message me or just connect with me. I would love to talk to you further about anything. Absolutely. Oh, Bill says Dallas College. Yes, Dallas Community College. That's it. Um, Look at that, Sarah, one hour and it just flies by. Flies by, oh my gosh. Especially when we're learning something so so important. So thank you. Um, but I, I usually like to wrap up the show. And um, actually, before I do that, I just saw a comment come in. Yolanda was saying, thank you, Sarah, for bringing awareness to the importance of accessibility. This discussion is eye-opening. Yes, I totally felt the same way, Yolanda, when I first saw Sarah present. So Sarah, you're, you're doing very important work and um, please keep it up and, and as much as we can, we'll continue to shine a light on it for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I kind of wrap up the show usually with our, our gratitude practice. Mm -hmm. These days we, we just have so many challenges and um, and I think everyone needs hope and gratitude. And what are you grateful for these days, Sarah? Um, you know, it's something that I've asked myself too. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's something a lot of us have asked just for perspective. Yeah. I will say, I mean, I have to say 100% grateful for my daughter for mm -hmm. you know, the silver lining through this yeah. pandemic and switching from going to an office every day, just mm -hmm. about to overnight working remotely. Mm -hmm. um, unexpected by no means were we ready for that and for the changes but um having that time with family is invaluable i'm a very very family oriented person having the time with family realizing that uh it truly is the people in your life that are what what's important um, i'm very grateful for that on on that side on the personal side but i will also say i'm i'm grateful for just the willingness of people to to learn. Uh, mm -hmm. I think we are at a time where people yes. want to learn more about what they don't know. Yes. Um, they are admitting that they don't know a lot about certain things and it's created this, this change yeah. where even you providing education like this, platforms like this, digital, um, accessible um, information, you know, yeah. it's not necessarily having to go and, and buying a book on something, you, you can have something interactive like this and learn, yeah. um, educate yourself and pass that information on. I, I just think there's so much power in education. Uh, that's ultimately what's going to make us better too. The continual learn, uh, yes. continual lessons, right? Yes. Uh, continual yes. growth and learning. 
And even in your career, Sarah, like what, if you were to, to leave us with a, a life lesson or something mm. that you've kind of seen along your journey and your career, what would that be? Yeah, I, I firmly believe in sharing your story. Mm. Again, I think some of the themes of what we talked about today are uh, the value in diversity, diversity of thought, of backgrounds, of experiences, where you come from. That's what makes companies better. That's what makes all of us better. It makes us more innovative. Um, it makes us more empathetic in understanding other people and where we all come from. So if there's anything that I have learned um, that I as much as possible recommend to others, it is speak up share your story mm -hmm. as much as you feel comfortable doing. By no means do I want to force anyone or encourage anyone to do something you're not comfortable doing, um, but share some of your story and what's important to you. I know to me, it has been 100% people with disabilities and that's just the company that I work for. But yes, of course it is you know, equality for women, equity for women, for women of color, you know, for my, some of my <laughs> best friends that are part of the LGBTQ community, you know, it's just, why are those things important to you? Um, and if, if they are, why not speak up about them? It doesn't have to always be the president of your company who can call out or calls out what's important or what should be important to you. That change can start with you. Everything starts with a single individual, and that can be you. Yes. And like you said right at the beginning, it, it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Right? Across the board. And we ultimately, we all benefit. And it's, we just, it's the right thing to do. Right? That, that summarizes it all. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you so much for, for sharing your voice and your story and, and your education and your tips. Um, and I want to thank you. And uh, I'm just going to announce some upcoming events. So stick around a little bit as I do that. Um, so for those of you out there, um, I just wanted to share with you our upcoming Association of Business Technology Professionals on September 22nd. We have a special guest, Dr. Pele Raymond, who is CEO, best-selling author, and educator. He's going to do a very creative presentation for us called The Seven Songs of a Successful Team. So that's going to be a fun and informative session. So definitely tune in for that. And you can register at abtpdfw.org. And then for next week, I have a special guest on Thursday at four, Michelle Baker, a sales and confidence coach. And she is also co-founder of ShiftCo. So we're going to talk all about, similar to what Sarah was saying, finding your voice, sharing your message, sharing your stories, and impacting the world. So make sure you tune in for next Thursday's session with uh, Michelle Baker. And so as we wrap up, I want to again thank Sarah for coming on and sharing your wisdom and advice. And for all of you out there, make sure that you continue to shine your light, share your message, share your voice through video. And thank you for tuning in today. And thank you for engaging and asking your questions. I so appreciate you in the audience. And I so appreciate you, Sarah. Thank you thank so much. Thank you so much, Fanny. Much appreciated.